Welcome back to the IF Future Leaders Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Dylan Riddle, and I'm joined today by one of my colleagues from the Future Leaders Group Class of 2020. Welcome to the show, Bossy Soroto. Thanks, Dylan. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. So like all of our episodes, we like to start with kind of where you are in your career right now, what your current role and responsibilities are. I know that you're the head of strategy enablement in the transactional and product services unit, Standard Bank, based out of Johannesburg. But if you could kind of tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day is like, what kind of responsibilities and what you're focusing on in your role right now. Sure. I think um, I have a multitude of activities that I deal with. However, if I had to um, take a specific reference, you know, it would be ranging from strategy ideation as well as enablement with particular focus with partnering with different countries across different regions, as well as different divisions in order to deliver on growing our client franchise and improving our customer experience. Um, also um, enabling the projects of a digitization that the organization is going through and improving operational efficiency. So I think those would be the top four on my list. We talked to a couple other people who are in kind of the strategy space too from our class. And the immediate first question I want to ask is, is about COVID, obviously, and how that kind of has changed your outlook in the last year. But the interesting thing that everyone else has been telling me, and, and maybe this is the same for you, is that everyone has been looking at COVID is, well, it's actually just either a short-term problem. So it hasn't impacted the overall strategy because strategies play out over three to five years or something like that. And more importantly, it's actually just kind of accelerated a lot of the, especially on the digitalization side. So that's been kind of their view. Is that similar for you or how has that played out? Very similar. Um, um, There hasn't been much change in terms of the strategy. There has obviously been elements where we had to amend um, the operational, the tactical ele- elements of the strategy. And that would be in terms of accelerating um, digitization products, um, as well as even adjusting our targets in different markets. Um, so I think that for us was the biggest hit, having to realize that we're not going to be able to hit um, revenue targets that we intended to in different markets within the organization. That's, yeah, that, no, that's an interesting point too. And I'm sure that um, even some of that is still hard, hard to exactly forecast. So we don't know exactly how this next this next year is going to go um, and, and what the recovery is going to look like. So um, I, I must admit, it's starting to feel a little bit like a thumb suck uh, in terms of having to um, budget uh, for even 2021. Um, however, um, it's not the same as having 2020 where we didn't have a script of how that looks like. Um, so now we have a bit of history in terms of the data. Um, And we're able to use what happened in 2020 to be able to forecast for 2021. So you mentioned the digitalization or digital transformation that the bank is undergoing right now. What, I mean, what's the focus for Standard Bank and kind of what are the the priorities for the digitalization? Is it the customer experience or is it cloud infrastructure or things like that? Um, But what's, what's your guys' focus at the moment? Without taking out any trade secrets, I think. Um, so, so it's obviously it's taking us back to being totally client centric. That's the first element. Um, and then becoming um, a platform uh, institution. And what we mean by that is being able to see ourselves the, the, way, the same way that the client sees us. Uh, whereas before we were very structured and delivered our products and services from an internal perspective. Um, but that's not how our clients perceive us. Um, they do not care whether you're in corporate or in retail. 
um, they want a specific service in a similar way. Um, so we're now providing a more platform banking type of experience uh, for the organization. That makes a lot of sense. I think your point, especially if they don't care whether or not you're in commercial banking or retail banking, it doesn't matter to them. Yeah, exactly. They're in they're interested in the, the services or access to capital or whatever it is that they that they need in particular. Um, if we can pivot kind of slightly, I want to go back to kind of where you've been throughout your career and, and even at Standard Bank for some time. So uh, maybe you can take us through when you when you first ended up there and, and kind of what your different roles have been like. Okay. Um, so maybe just before Standard Bank. So I've always been in the financial industry. Um, sort of started from uh, university directly into a different financial institution via graduate program. Actually started my career in retail, which is what's different from what I did in Standard Bank. So started in retail, but in Standard Bank moved into corporate banking. Um, started as a branch manager um, for about a year or two and then transitioned into different um, project management roles within uh, the previous organization, then moved into Standard Bank into more specialist roles, um, where I was a global implementation manager, transitioned from there into a more futuristic type of project where we were working in future proofing the organization. And that's where I became a client solutions lead. So I guess when they say, you know, we're not developing for the future, the future is now. Um, that sort of started many years in my um, career transitioned into becoming the chief operating officer for Southern and Central Africa. That was about nine markets within our continent and now currently servicing 11 markets within Africa. Wow, yeah, that's, uh, that's a very good kind of wrap of everything so far. So uh, I wanna start with, I guess the, the graduate program or graduate trainee program is, is an interesting place to start because we've talked to a couple other people who've done similar things. Uh, I myself applied for a bunch of them and never got accepted. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but it's, it, it's kind of interesting cause it, um, I think it's interesting cause it's uh, a lot of people in our group have, have done that, but a lot of people, like other people I've talked to in, in Washington DC where I'm based, for example, don't have experience that sort of thing. But I think it's in talking to other people, it's a really valuable thing because it seems like at least from a lot of the other examples, you get exposure to essentially the entire business over the course of a short period of time. Um, so maybe you can talk about that and kind of what your experiences were and how that helped shape, you know, figuring out, you know, where you wanted to focus afterwards, basically. I, I must admit, I think that's where the seed of leadership and financial services started. Um, I mean, I jumped from um, being in university and jumping into being developed for a management role. And like I said, I started as a, a trainee branch manager within the graduate program. And, and what helped in that is because you're jumping from university to managing staff. And I do not think at that time I had the necessary expertise to be able to do that alone. So what the graduate program actually provides for you is uh, the resources as well as a soft place to fall or fail. Um, you know, they, they give you that 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 opportunity to fail, whereas if you just jump into a specific role, I think there is limited opportunity for you to sort of find your way and fall through uh, the cracks. So it gave me the necessary resources. I mean, in our graduate program, we even had um, executive coaches we had who were trained in psychology. Um, because they believe that the mental element of jumping from being a university graduate into actually um, the corporate environment uh, required elements of a balance of improvement um, 
and and expertise from a mental perspective so for me it was it was definitely one of those um what do i call it places that i look back into and say if i didn't have that i do not believe that i would be where i am today it provided a good balance emotionally as well as providing me with the necessary technical skills um so yeah it was great no that makes a lot of sense i, I mean the importance of having like a structured way to enter especially when you're essentially going from like managing my class schedule and books to managing people is that's a huge step and like a huge bolt from a skills point of view but like you said too like psychologically having to figure out how to work with different relationships and uh you know set other people up for success also while you're still trying to get your feet for your own success right because you're six months out of school it's um yeah and having kind of a structured way to be able to to do that makes a lot of sense and i, I like i like the way you put it having a, a kind of a soft place to fail because at the end of the day everyone struggles at some point and fails at something and having making sure you're doing it in kind of a a way that's not the be all and end all seems like a pretty good idea yeah i think it also provided a community of people that are going through the same thing so we were grouped into um different individuals that were in similar roles so apart from doing the work uh, where we would be at specific branches, for example, once a month we would be meeting with other colleagues who are also part of the graduate program, would be taken through different skills, would be taken through group therapy, uh, for lack of a better word. And, and that's where we would share our frustrations, our challenges and so forth. So it provided us with the necessary community to succeed, I think. Are those still people that you're pretty close with or that you you speak with and kind of, yeah, it's like a, it's like a good network effect, right? Believe it or not. Yeah. Um, some are not even in the financial industry anymore. Some have become entrepreneurs. Um, some are in different industries, but to this day, we're still in communication. We still have a WhatsApp group. Uh, we still meet at least once a month um with some of the individuals within the group uh, and others annually but we're always in communication so it has become a great network yeah it's fantastic um i want to jump ahead kind of to the future proofing role that you had if you can kind of talk about what how one i mean how does somebody go about future proofing an organization um and and yeah i guess i would start there sure um <laughs> It's a little bit of a difficult uh, question, to be honest. And, and I say that because the, the, the project in itself uh, had a vision and the vision was simply to future-proof the organization, but it didn't have specific activities initially. It was, you know, a, a blank slate of what is required. So the first element of it was trying to research what is required uh, and where the industry is moving uh, before any activities could be put in place in order to design the strategy and even enable the strategy so it started as researching where the industry is moving um, with specific focus in our business unit which was transactional products and services uh, getting an understanding of our clients uh, getting an understanding of particular organizations or companies that are interested in growing um, within the african continent um, and then getting an understanding of the different sectors that are going to be revenue generating for our specific unit. Um, so that's where we started uh, communicating with our clients and understanding their business and how to provide value to them. Um, so that was the first element of it. Um, and second to that became the client solutions role, 
with saying now that we understand uh, who our client is, what the client wants, and how the client is going to be growing within their own organization, how is it that we can partner in their growth? Um, so I think in high level and very basic elements, um, that's what we, um, or at least the role. Um, no, that makes a lot of sense. Like uh, being able to kind of sit in understanding, sit and have a team basically break down where the opportunities are right now and where the opportunities are going to be in several years makes tons of sense from an organizational perspective. Was there any element of like, because obviously that's yeah, on the opportunity side, was there any element of looking at the risk side as well? I mean, COVID is something that you couldn't, you can't predict basically nobody did but were, were there was there kind of a focus on that side as well rather than just the opportunities there were definitely uh, certain risks and certain sectors that are going to not be profitable for example uh, or certain um, products or services that we do not want to necessarily get into um, we also looked into certain uh, products or services that would either be risky um, and that we should pull out instead of continuously spending to maintain uh, those specific products that were not working in those specific organizations. So there was a risk element um, in my specific portfolio at the time um, that was not my particular focus, um, but we had individuals within the program who looked into that. Gotcha, no, that, that makes complete sense. Um, and then obviously from there, you went on to being the chief operating officer for multiple markets. Um, was that well, I mean, what was that jump like? That seemed to me on the outside, that seems like it's a big jump to, again, managing a bunch of people and, uh, you know, the whole markets, basically. Um, but talk to me about kind of coming, stepping into that role. And, you know, was that as big a, a change as it seems like on the outside? Um, I, I think on the people management aspect um, and in terms of uh, the stakeholder management, yes, uh, that was the big change. Uh, but the similarities between the, the, the roles was that within Future Proof, I was able to get a full or in-depth understanding of the industry, uh, which absolutely helped in, in being able to be the COO of uh, the different countries. Um, so on that aspect, I was able to have an in-depth understanding as well as sort of gain a variety of skills uh, that were required as uh, unlike working in one particular role and gaining one element of expertise. So those were the similarities that were required in the role. Um, so when I moved into the, the chief operating officer role for the different markets, I already understood how different markets worked. I already understood the opportunities that were in different markets, the risks that were in different uh, markets. So it wasn't a huge jump uh, from that element. The people management came with um, maybe the different structure within our organization. So we have a matrix structure where you have people who, did, who then report within their specific country, as well as have a, a dotted line into the head office, what would be the Joburg office, which is where I sat. Um, so having to manage without having a full mandate over uh, particular individuals within the country, I think that was the challenge of the role. Um, but I think it definitely groomed by stakeholder management skills and being able to influence without having a particular mandate to do so um, in different um, instances. Yeah, no, that's, um, I want to come back to that because that seems very difficult and I would love to hear about how you did it. The, uh, um, but on the, on the first part, it sounds like, and, and tell me if this is fair, it sounds like from the future-proof role, you're kind of looking at the overall strategy, and then my interpretation of the COO will be you're almost kind of trying to transition that to implementing. Is that basically right? And 
kind of, I, I can obviously understand how the perspective from future proofing role really helped in the CEO role, but was there, you know, was it when you got there and were beginning to implement, were there any, was there anything you ran into that you're like, oh, I, I would have thought this was going to be easier to implement. Like, is it, and, and not, obviously you don't have to get into specifics, but like what, you know, how did you approach those kind of kinds of roadblocks if they did come up? I think uh, maybe what happened from a future proof perspective is even though you, I, I understood the different elements of particular countries, it was still on a very high level uh, or broad perspective. Uh, once you need to implement the strategy, uh, you go a lower, a level lower uh, to that. And having to um, now put what was put on paper and actually put it into reality became very difficult. And the difficulty of it was that it was not particular in terms of our specific unit having to deliver to a certain mandate, meaning growing the clan franchise, but enforcing, <laughs> for lack of a better word, um, certain partnership within the organization to be able to also uh, deliver on the strategy. What you'll find is that um, the same way that um, our clients see us, I mean, in our transactional products and uh, services, we are full value chain. So although we produce the products, um, certain teams like operations need to do particular activities in order to make that uh, a reality. And that's where the difficulty came in, having to deal with different business units and how they run their processes. And what happens in uh, Swatini is not what necessarily happens in Mauritius. Um, so those elements were the difficult elements. I think going to the granular details was the difficult. Yeah, the we've had a couple of the times this has come up, and I probably forced it to come up in a lot of conversations because it's like my basically when I started out, I was a consultant, and so I have this perspective where you would make this perfect strategy, and someone paid you a lot of money to make this strategy, and you deliver it to them after these months of long nights and work, and they immediately go, "Oh, but I can never actually implement this," and you're like. Well, what do you mean you can't? And I never understood that until I, I stopped being a consultant and was working internally and, and realized that what you understand from the outside, you, you're missing that functional layer that, okay, that actually means calling this person and getting them to do this, despite that's not how they usually do it. And there's a bunch of other stakeholder management that happens away from kind of the strategy aspects. Um which kind of, kind of brings us back to the stakeholder management point because that is essentially how you can get it done. So um, coming back coming back around to that, what was you know what was it like? Did you, were you going in? Because the one the one question I would have too is like when you're going into these markets, did you already have an existing network there that you could kind of rely on and, and help foster those relationships and then kind of manage the stakeholders, or were you going in um, you know? for lack of a better term, I guess, like completely blind and just trying to figure it out as soon as you got there. Fortunately, I had the privilege to have worked with different stakeholders within those particular countries in, in previous roles. So as a global client implementation manager, I had clients who required an enablement of ERP systems uh, that was either in different countries. So I would have engaged initially with those different countries. It may have been uh, different stakeholders, but it gave me the opportunity to not only understand the different nuances in those specific countries from an operational and a business perspective, but also different cultures. And I think people leave that 
behind where you have an understanding that I know the technicalities, I know what happens in that country. Uh, but there's also a cultural element uh, that is um, necessary to understand when you would require good stakeholder management. And, and, and that helped the fact that I had already had previous relationships. So I would be able to sort of tap into a Dylan and say, hey, Dylan, you know, um, introduce me to that individual that I now need to manage and who do I need to talk to to get this done? Um, so that yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I feel like the when you start those types of exercises, the first and sometimes most time consuming step can just be identifying who the person is that I need to be talking to. Who's who's the person that actually makes the decision or who influences the decision or like or who actually does does the thing I need to figure out how to get done um, is is a huge part of it. And that's, you know, um, that's yeah, it's a challenge if you don't have that kind of network going in that you can just ask. Mm. And I think that's that's not that's what we don't usually discuss. I mean, you can't write it on paper as such, but that's the sort of the homework that you would require to do in order to have uh, good stakeholder engagement. You know, just get an understanding of that how that particular country and the engagements work. And like you say, it's about who makes the decisions, who influences the decision, and it's not always the person that is sitting in that particular role. Um, so having that understanding is also quite important. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's just, I feel like when, especially, you know, people younger in their careers are coming in or people who aren't used to working in a, like a, a bigger organization or an organization that's spread across multiple markets, you can kind of have this uh, perspective that, oh, well, in, in my office, the guy whose title is XYZ makes the decision. So I would assume that's the same everywhere, but you, you forget about those cultural differences. You forget that just there's different history behind the different offices and they're set up for different reasons. And, and that's, you know, whatever it is. And I, it's kind of one of those things that, like you said, it's, it's not written down somewhere. You have to kind of figure it out. And it goes back to that. Um, you know, you have to kind of have people skills. And we've talked in other episodes too, about the being a, a specialist versus a generalist and um, having really special, a really specialized skill set versus kind of, problem solving and not that the two are mutually exclusive but that kind of problem solving being able to figure out who the person is that you need to be able to talk to is also super important um even if you're a great coder or something else um i think is there anything else on kind of your current role that's been interesting in the last year that would be or any any good lessons that you were able to take from being a COO to, to your current role that um, would be helpful for the audience to hear maybe? Sure. Um, sure. That's a bit of a, yeah. I think from, from the COO role, I think it goes back to the conversation that we had. Um, because like I said, I'm jumping back into a strategy role uh, where initially that one was full on implementation, even though this one is facilitating implementation or uh, enablement of the strategy, it is slightly different to that particular role. Um, so maybe the lessons uh, that I would have learned um, is to partner. So instead of doing um, higher up to bottom in terms of strategy, but doing sort of a bottom up, trying to understand the countries better before drawing up something that they would need to achieve from a strategy perspective. Um, the other element would be having to be able to communicate um, the strategy efficiently and break it down in a manner 
that is country specific um, as well as role specific. Because I think uh, the, the, the problem that we usually do is we bring down a strategy and we're not able to um, then sort of break it up into different portions so that people understand what it means to them. Um, so I think that is the biggest lesson uh, that the COO role has given me uh, in order to be able to function efficiently in my current role to take out the ambiguity within strategy. Do you think that going from a strategy to an implementation role to a strategy role means that you're now kind of more effective in, in this second strategy role or facilitation role, having had both sides of the coin? Or, or do you, you know, do you think there would have been things lost if you had just gone, if you'd gone from strategy to strategy and without that implementation piece in the middle? I, I definitely think, at least from my perspective, uh, I've found the value um, and I found the gaps that I, were not, I was not aware of. Uh, like you said, uh, moving from a consulting into your current role, uh, there were certain things that you thought you knew uh, that you were unaware of. So there was that blind spot. Um, so it has definitely been of value, uh, specifically uh, in my role. I think even if I have to go back to having started my career directly into management, um, I was already managing elements of a branch where I didn't fully have the technical expertise in terms of the experience of working in those specific roles. Um, and I found challenges uh, while managing that, even with the resources that I was provided with. Uh, and that's why initially from that role, I actually moved from management into specialist. So for me, in terms of management specialist and having a broad understanding of the particular roles has made me not only, um, I think, a good strategy um, individual, but also ensuring that the strategy that we draw up is not, uh, you know, all in the clouds and actually can be implemented and enabled. Absolutely. That makes sense. And the, I think the, the biggest test of implementing strategies when everything kind of hits the fan like it has in the last year or so. And you have to, does your strategy still hold water? Do you, does your implementation plan still hold water? Do you need, what do you need to revise? And, and that sort of thing for these gigantic unforeseen um, circumstances that hopefully will not happen every year. Um, yeah. But I think it also not only tapped into that, I think what COVID did was tap into the importance of soft skills more than anything else. At least that's what I found. Um, so it wasn't the struggle of the technical elements. Those kind of remain um, and didn't change much because of COVID. They may have accelerated, but they didn't change much. Um, what was brought into focus was mainly the soft elements, the empathetic leadership, the resilience, and, and I think that's where we got tested more than anything else. Um, I mean, I had managers who said, I didn't know that uh, my staff members actually had dogs um, or had a family or even had a child. And, and it sort of brought us to those personal elements that we were always taught that, you know, keep your personal aspect at home when you come to the office. So it started to sort of become one and, and seeing that, you know, we are all whole individuals at the end of the day. You can't put some elements and leave them at home when coming to the office. So I think that's what was tested. It's a great point too. And the like, there are um, elements of, of your life that your coworkers have have never seen. All my coworkers now have seen my kitchen a million times. For for those <laughs> for the the listeners, for us, I record these on my kitchen counter, and uh, we're on video. So boss, you can can see my lovely microwave and fridge behind me. Um, 
which is which is basically what all my coworkers have seen for the last nine months. And it's funny because over time they'll like notice something different. Like, oh, I like one day I had a pan on the counter. They're like, oh, what are you starting your cooking show now? Like, and that was a running joke for a couple of months, right? But those are you just have these like peaks into people's lives that you've never your coworkers you've never had before. And on the one hand, I can see for all of the kind of like isolation and um, for how much we've all been separated this year, you kind of also get this little element that can kind of like, it it definitely does not go far enough to replace that, but it it fosters a little bit more of a personal relationship at work that I don't think people had otherwise, Um, which is, which is interesting. And, and, you know, looking to 2021, maybe that's something when things get back to normal is, um, you know, helps us be more resilient in the future and kind of helps change that work dynamic to, yeah, you, you have a kid at home. I, I'm, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. I didn't know that somehow. Right. Like there's, there's that sort of thing that you're, you now have a little bit more empathy towards one another, um, which can be really helpful. But, um, you know, what, what else are you looking for in 2021? Um, how does the, the rest of the year look for you? 2021, I'm looking back at, Becoming physically healthy again. I think 2020 had me sitting at home eating and uh, not <laughs> having to do a lot of exercise. So the first thing is just getting from a personal aspect, getting my health back, you know, uh, physically. That's from just a personal perspective. Um, it also maybe has helped me prioritize better um, uh, in terms of just personal and work uh, perspective. Uh, I'm also looking into growing certain elements um, within uh, my skills um, with particular focus in credit um, this year. So just growing those skills because we we had high credit risk this year in terms of um, the issues that we had because of COVID. So there's elements where I'm trying to grow certain skills from a risk perspective from this year. Yeah, it's a good point to be forward looking as well. This year is, I'm very optimistic, I think, probably, or maybe i overly optimistic. I'm not sure which one, but hope, hopefully things are kind of uh, getting back to normal. And it's, um, yeah, hopefully the outlook is, is a little bit better. And But at the same time, it's kind of a, um, I like the idea of, of learning from last year to work on skills that will be necessary going forward because the you know effects of COVID are going to be lasting for um, the business for a while. But thank you so much, Bossy, for joining us. I really appreciated you taking the time and I'm sure all of our listeners uh, did as well. Thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you for the listeners. It was great. Absolutely loved my time in our 2020 class. Um, great opportunities and a lot of um, lessons were learned. Hopefully we will keep the network going.